This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We've talked a bit about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mentioned the Las Vegas Raiders. You know what the biggest change in athletes maybe is, or let's say one of the biggest changes in athletes going back over the last 30 years? Their sleep habits. Honestly, their sleep habits. You talk to athletes, they, yes, take care of their bodies, but sleep, sleep has become this big thing. And if you have wearable technology that measures your heart rate and talks about sleep, then you know you have the ability to look and, and see the effect of a lack of sleep on even things like your heart rate. You can pretty much match when your heart rate is maybe a little higher than normal and when you're really tired. It's, you know, it's one of those things that you can correlate. Now, if we look at the circadian rhythms that we all live by, sleep is something that we we probably have not paid enough attention to. And, and it's weird not to, because let's think of our lives at, at, just for a minute. It's really important to have a good mattress. It really is. What do you mean? Well, think of it this way. Our lives are run in 24-hour cycles. So eight of those hours are spent working. Eight of those hours are spent doing whatever the heck you want or getting ready to go to work or sitting in the commute line or whatever it happens to be. But eight of those hours are, are basically yours. And then eight of those hours are supposed to be sleeping. And yet we don't pay enough attention to that. It's a third of our lives. So why don't we actually say, yeah, there's a purchase you've got to make. It's a mattress. You better have a good mattress. You better make sure you get that eight hours of sleep. Because if you don't, it, it can cause issues. Now, some people will say, I get by on five. Others will say, I need nine and a half or I'm a, I'm a bear. How about students? If you're really little, it's not hard to get someone to go to sleep and sleep for a while. Because you develop those bedtimes. Let's go read a story. Not Grimm's fairy tales. Don't read that. But let's go read a story. Let's go to bed. You get that bedtime routine down. And sure, that works until they start to get a little bit older. And then bedtime is kind of controlled by them. I don't even know when that happens. I don't remember. But at some point, and I have just raised two children. So at some point, they, well, I should say, my wife has raised the two children. I've, I've kind of been there. I've, I've offered a few things. So when you are headed to bed as a teenager, chances are you're not going to go down for nine and a half hours if you have school that starts at 8 o'clock. Because school that starts at 8 requires you to get up at least by what? 7.30? 7.15? Might even be pushing it? you got to get a shower, you got to get something to eat, and you've got to make the journey to school, which may involve your own feet. So especially if you're taking a bus and you're coming in from a long way out, there are students who start their day before 6 a.m., or at least at 6 a.m. Why are we doing this? Because there is a lot of research that indicates that's not right. And I got a great email, and it said that... Students are also not preparing or being prepared for the real world as when they they look to get out of it. And if you look 
and want to instantly give almost every teenager an additional leg up in the world, facilitate success, then the student should be put first. And if they are not performing as they could be at school because of a lack of sleep, and again, we're going to talk about some science behind this in just a moment, then that's not being done. So as the email goes on, if you want to find the most effective and least expensive way to give every high school student a boost in grades and confidence, start school an hour later. Because that's actually free. And you think of all of the teenagers who miss university cutoffs by 1% or 2% or 3% or 4%. They would have a better chance if we did that. And there is science to prove it. And we're lucky enough to have with us right now someone who has helped to produce that science. It is great to have Dr. Kyla Wallstrom with us, Senior Research Fellow and Lecturer in the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. Dr. Wallstrom, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's look back at some of the things that you have done, because like we said, this is not something that was done just recently. This isn't a brand new study, but it, it seems to come out and be, you know, be something that we need to be talking about maybe until it's done. So let's kind of start with the idea that there's medical research that shows teenagers are unable to fall asleep when we think they might. So, yeah, don't worry. The kids will go to bed by 9 o'clock. But th they might not be able to fall asleep until roughly when? Well, um, the medical research has shown that teenagers are unable, basically, to fall asleep much before 11 at night and not physically wake up. Their brain doesn't wake up until 8 in the morning. So any schools that are starting earlier than 8 or even as teens have to get up and get ready to get go to school or get on a bus, they're already depriving their brain of the natural sleep. And the reason that the teens have this 11 p.m., uh, it's called a sleep phase shift. The phases of their sleep change only during adolescent adolescence and puberty. And it's a chemical shift in the brain that causes... So I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of teenagers who have said, I lay in bed and I just... My parents say I have to be in bed. I, I'm tired, but I'm not sleepy. And until melatonin secretes at around 1045, the brain doesn't get into a sleep mode until 11. So these kids are laying there in bed resting, but they're not sleeping until 11, and their brain is, is not able to fall asleep till then. Wow. And this allows us to do some math because we've got teenagers that are going through puberty, and they're going through a lot of changes hormonally yep. and physically. They're getting bigger. How... Yep much sleep do teenagers typically need in a night? Nine hours, 15 minutes. Nine that hours, 15 body, minutes. Mm -hmm, that's what the human body, and when kids go into sleep labs and they measure their natural sleep when there's no restrictions on when they go to sleep and when they wake up, the human body um, basically requires nine hours and 15 minutes. In all, in all the studies that I've done, and I've been studying this for 24 years, the outcomes of sleep um, and its effect on teens. The um, the basically the, the findings have been that anything anything less than eight hours a night is in the danger zone for kids to really have da other dangerous things happening, such as drugs and cigarettes use, alcohol use, depression, 
car crashes. All of that is statistically related to kids who get less than eight hours of sleep per night. That's wild. And you've it's also wild. looked you've <laughs> also looked at students who, who do get the proper amount of sleep because their school starts later. What are we seeing from an academic standpoint in that way? Not just, hey, are they likely to suffer from depression or are they likely to fall into drug and alcohol use or things like that, but let's talk academically. Mm -hmm. What do you see there? Well, we do see um, that the students that get more than eight hours of sleep a night have statistically improved grades in their classes, especially in the four core classes of English science, social studies, and math. That's number one. And um, also we see less absenteeism because the kids are getting to school and not missing the first hour or the whole day if they miss the bus. So there's less absenteeism as well. Um, and we just see that the kids, and this is clearly true for all of the um, all of the students that are uh, in any of the latest start-time schools. It isn't a matter of economics. Um, we in Minneapolis have studied students that are in high-income suburban areas and in very, very urban, uh, low-income areas. And the biology is the same for these kids, and the academic gains are the same. Wow. We're talking with Dr. Carla Wallstrom, mm-hmm. Senior Research Fellow and Lecturer in the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis. Dr. Wallstrom, you say you've been studying this for now decades. Has Yes the data changed at any point or has it been pretty consistent all the way through those studies? That's a great question. And the answer is it's been consistent. And there have been more than 2,000 studies on adolescent sleep and probably 800 of those are related to the school starting time issue. And there's been no countervailing findings that have shown that this is damaging or in any way um, you know, detrimental to teenagers. It's pretty remarkable. There's very few things in science that are so clear in terms of their findings. Um, and this is one of them, that the teen's brain just needs sleep, um, adequate amount of sleep in order to, to develop well. And, you know, when you think about it, people don't know, but during your sleep, anybody's sleep, whether you're an adult or a child, your brain is actually more active during sleep than, than when you're awake. And it takes in the millions of bits of information every day. And at night, what the brain does is it sorts all those bits of information into, like, file folders or categories. And anything that's an irrelevant bit of information, the brain washes out that bit of information through the cerebral fluid. And so that's one of the reasons that teens have less depression is if there's an accumulation of these little negative bits that are hanging around in the brain and it really... You know how teens can be um, maybe uh, feel offended by a comment from a friend or, or feel bad about a test score on a, uh, on, a, on, a, on a score on a test. But those kinds of feelings can be mitigated or washed out of the brain and their intensity every night with the, with the washing of the brain in the, by the cerebral fluid. So it's a pretty remarkable thing that all of this research that is medically based has direct application to the well-being of our kids. Which is all we want. You want to give a child every single leg up. There are a lot of doors and windows that close. You want to keep as many open for as long as possible. So Mm -hmm. here's the next question in this. Why are we still seeing so many schools start so early? 
Well, you know, that's also a really interesting and great question because it's it has to do with a couple of things. First off, it has to do with the lack of education or information that the general public has about the shift in the teen sleep uh, cycle. So most people don't even know that there is this shift in the teen brain. I, I often, when I have done other presentations and talked to people, people say, oh, those teenagers, they're just lazy bums. <laughs> they uh, they want to stay up late, and, and that's just, you know, because they want to socialize. Well, and in fact, um, that is basically not true. They stay up only because their brains aren't ready for sleep. So there's a pushback because of lack of knowledge, number one. And then secondly, for the places that have a strong um, uh, kind of pushback or counter or counteraction to this, it's because there are other things that clearly have to be um, addressed in terms of making the shift. There has to be bu- usually bus transportation schedules need to change. There needs to be probably some changes in the athletic timing and the practices of games and things. And there probably also needs to be an addressing of childcare after school. And those are all real problems. And I have investigated this for the last 20 years and found that schools that really want to make the changes have talked with their people and they've made adjustments. They've made accommodations. School child care can maybe be changed or there's a, maybe they can use the schools after school for that. The bus transportation schedules can be shifted, but it changes the changes, the rhythms of the community. And there's a real sense of people don't like change. There's just a natural dislike of change when routines are routines. So you have to understand kind of the basic psychology of humans and that they don't like change. And there's a pushback, a natural pushback for change. But like I began with this, if people are educated and know about all the benefits and, and the solutions that are out there for these problems, then they're willing to really take it on and make the changes for the schools. One other thing I should mention to you is the state of California is a really ground, had a groundbreaking law that was passed last October in uh, 2019. And it is a statewide mandate for all high schools to start no earlier than 8.30, which is remarkable. It's a statewide law that will be in effect as of 2022. And there will be a number of studies that will be done statewide in California looking at this to see if this is something that can be done across other states, other other places. Canada is certainly, there's been a lot of studies that have been done in Canada as well about this with the same findings. And the same is true in other places in the world, whether you're looking at kids in, in Israel or Korea or Brazil there have been studies done in all those locations, and it is all the same findings, which is not a surprise if this is, has a biology base to it, a biological base. Humans are humans, whether you live in Korea or you live in America or you live in Canada. This is all the same, um, the same uh, developmental stages that kids go through. Well, we really appreciate you sharing your findings with us, and thank you for doing this research and being as persistent as you are. Because, <laughs> hey, if California's doing it, we've seen that happen with so many other things. Hey, California's doing it. Next thing you know, yeah. everybody else is doing it too. Dr. <laughs> Wallstrom, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Please keep safe. I will. You too. Take care. That Bye-bye. is Dr. Kyla Wallstrom, Senior Research Fellow and Lecturer in the College of Education and Human Development at the University of Minnesota. Why aren't we putting kids first? Oh, well, you know, we'd have to change a lot of things. We're just doing this because it's the way we've always done it. Not good enough.
Not good enough. Now, we have a lot of schools that start at 8.30 or even later, but we still have some that don't. Why? Research is there. Don't you want to help kids? Things change so quickly, and that's what we want to get to now because one of the byproducts of things changing quickly is having people say, wait a minute, you said this, and now you're, you're, now you're saying something different. Wait a minute, now you're saying a third thing. What's going on here? And that can be an attitude that comes with some dangers. You add that into some other types of fuel, and you wind up with conspiracy-type stuff. And in Quebec, that's been an issue. That has certainly been an issue to the point of threats against politicians. Joining us right now is Professor Marie-Yves Carignan from the Université de Sherbrooke. And we welcome Professor Carignan to the show. Professor Carignan, how are you? Good, thank you. And you? Well, not too bad. I'm, I'm interested to know what is happening in Quebec with regard to some of the rising conspiracy. This is a thing? This, this is happening? Uh, yeah, but what our data sh- shows from now, so we make a couple of studies right now about the, the belief in conspiracy theory in Quebec and in Canada as well. And what we see is not that uh, the level of uh, belief in conspiracy theory is so high in Quebec. Uh, the difference, I think, it's that the people in Quebec who believe in this kind of theory are really noisy. So they make them heard. They are really loud on social media, on uh, manifestations. So we believe that they are almost everywhere, but it's just because they are really noisy. They are present. Uh, it's a point, but not um, as much as we could th- think about it. Yeah. Okay. That's that's at least, you know, I guess that's encouraging to hear, but you're right. When, when someone can be very loud about something, it seems like there are a lot of people being loud about it. it. It might just be one person. What types of things are you hearing, though, that are being discussed that, that maybe people are having trouble believing? Uh, yes. What, what we see with our data is that it's it, it not... Uh, it's it's still a problem because maybe one in four or one in one in five people in Canada believe in conspiracy theory about COVID-19. So that's still a big issue. Uh, for example, they believe that the government is hiding information about the coronavirus, which is maybe a fact, but uh, this belief is linked with others. For example, they think that the virus was created intentionally or not in a lab, uh, that the pharmaceutical industry or some financial power are involved in the spreading of the virus, or they think that the virus is linked with the 5G technology, for example. Wow. We're talking right now with Professor Marie-Yves Carignan from the Université de Sherbrooke, and we're looking at conspiracy theories and some of the the study that they have done with regard to what is happening in Quebec. And as Professor Carignan says, this is more, you know, the the audible level of the the voices who are talking about this. But at the same time, there are things there. What else have you found with your research? Uh, we found a link with the specific criteria that tend to uh, increase the level of belief in conspiracy theory. For example, there are social demographic uh, specific aspect, uh, the the age, the youngest uh, people tend to believe most in conspiracy theory, uh, the level of scholarity. Uh, also, an important point is the trust. Uh, 
are that shows the uh, direct link between trust and belief in conspiracy theories. So the people who don't trust the government, um, healthcare authority, they tend to believe in conspiracy theories. That's a, an important link. And also, you will not be surprised about this one, but there's a link between uh, the use of social media and the beliefs in conspiracy theories. So the people that are often on the social media, less uh, using traditional media, are more uh, more vulnerable to uh, conspiracy theory because they are exposed to them on the social media. There you go, and you get like-minded voices who are able to add their voices together, and next thing you know, it it all seems maybe a little bit more plausible than it would have if somebody was just sitting talking with a friend, right? Exactly, and when you use the social media, also they show you other link about the same subject, so it became a pattern and the people in the social media could be hours and hours online reading and looking for that kind of information. So after that, it's really hard to say, no, maybe this information isn't true or have you validate the sources when there's a lot of that kind of stuff online. How do you think we deal with things in terms of trying to estimate threats you you have done some research into whether or not conspiracy thinking exists but sometimes conspiracy thinking can turn into a threat any suggestion as to how to make that link yes for sure there's a link and uh, for us it's a, <clears throat> a potential problem for sure i'm working with the UNESCO Chair in the Prevention of Radicalization and Violence Extremism. So for sure, we are really concerned about that. We saw a few months ago uh, young people in Quebec go uh, to make uh, fire on technological tower they thought was linked with 5G, which was not. <laughs> uh, we also saw some really violent comportment against specific group like Asiatic people because at the beginning of the spread they thought that it was a virus from China. So that violent behavior is our matter of concern for us. And now the problem is in Quebec we saw a link with the right-wing extremism and that kind of belief. And that's a problem because this kind of behavior could became violent and there are some people who could act by their own not really necessarily an organized action but that's preoccupating and as you as you said in the introduction uh, some political people in Quebec receive uh, yeah they receive threats about uh, their action or their uh, uh, measure against the the virus uh, the the prime minister but some minister also and uh, two days ago the um, mayor of Quebec City. And that's, that's you know, a little scary to hear. Uh, it's certainly a, a dangerous thing to know that it's out there. I suppose it's always out there. And now when we're living at a time when things are a little bit more... Uh, a little bit more up in the air and a little bit more uncertain. We'll see what happens. But here's hoping research like this can at least help to make that link and, and help law enforcement officials to keep everybody safe. Professor Carignan, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you. That is Professor Marie-Yves Carignan from the Université de Sherbrooke. And some talk about conspiracy levels that, yeah, exist absolutely everywhere. And you can point, of course to social media as being that place where div divisiveness goes to find friends. And that happens. It's, it's not 
it's not a positive of social media as far as I'm concerned because it's pretty easy to get people spun and it's pretty easy to get people you know, all riled up. Some people love doing it. It's why trolling is a thing. It's why trolls are now not just something that lives under the bridge in the story, the Billy Goat's Gruff. Trolls are actual things that can cause some issues online, and, and you get people all spun. And that's honestly why, and I know, you know, one of the terms that comes up over and over again is what? Oh, the mainstream media. Oh, the mainstream media. Okay, well, you're entitled to feel, oh, the mainstream media. Here they go again. But I will tell you, as I've told the story before, we don't just plop things up. You, I can't just write something, even if it's an opinion piece. I cannot write that and put it up on our website. It's not going to go. It's not going to happen. It has to be looked over by somebody else. It has to have other eyes. It has to be fact-checked. Even an opinion piece, because facts will come up in opinion. And what you are saying has to be credible. The sources have to be backed up. All of those things. Or it doesn't get there. So if you're reading anything online that is coming off Global News Radio or, or 980cfpl.ca, you are going to know that that's been looked at. That the stuff there has been fact-checked. And that's just something that, that we do as, get this, mainstream media. We're not out there to steer anybody. We're out there to try and find the information and present it so that you have it and you can use that. That's what it's about. And whether it is COVID-19 that has people going to hospital, whether it is something else entirely, this is a reality that exists day after day, year after year, has for a long time. And the Dream Lottery has been able to raise... I don't even know how many funds. I don't know. I don't think I can count that high, but just maybe Rita Feeder from the Dream Lottery can count that high. Rita, do we even have a ballpark for how much money has been able to be raised by the Dream Lottery? Do you know almost $42 million has been raised for London hospitals, and that's a significant amount of money that has gone towards patient care, teaching, research, and it's all because of supporters to the Dream Lottery, and we couldn't be more thankful. Rita, that's jaw-dropping. I was thinking $10 million. You just said 42 Almost $42 million has been raised for London hospitals. Whew. Well, you know what? We will probably see that 42 mark passed as we get ready for the next Dream Lottery. You can go to dreamitwinit.ca, and I'm there right now, Rita. I'm looking at the website. It looks beautiful. And I'm noticing something that's a little bit different than last time. And it's right in front of me. It says, choose one of four grand prizes. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Last time there were two grand prizes to choose from. Rita, there are four grand prizes here. Do you know what? We took it up another notch because we listened to what our buyers wanted. And they wanted that adventure package. They wanted that backyard makeover. But they also wanted the dream homes or that option of one million cash. Okay, so let's break these down. We've got two dream homes, and where do we find those? So one of them is built by Bridalwood, and it's in Silverleaf, and a beautiful development, two-story, just a gorgeous house. And with all the furnishings, you can move right in. It's valued at over $1.425 million. Then we have new this year with Ferenic uh, Dream Home in Kilworth, and this home is, again, fully furnished. It's a bungalow. 
valued at $1.25 million. Beautiful, beautiful homes. And wow. then that takes you into all these other great prizes that you have an option to as well. Well, let's go adventure package first. What is inside the adventure package if we were able to open it up like a present and look? Well, you know, that's a great one because, I mean, you're going to get a beautiful truck, a camper, an ATV, a boat. And again, you're going to choose what it is that you want. And on top of that, we're going to give you 750000 cash. <laughs> okay, that that's good. And then backyard makeover, this is a thing that can happen too? It can definitely happen. So you know what? If you love your home and you've always wanted that backyard, beautiful spa-like pool, hot tub, then you know what? This is a package for you. But we're also going to give you 750000 cash. <laughs> Rita, you've got us smiling at a time when, when it can sometimes be difficult to smile. So one of four grand prizes or one million cash, and we're talking about the Dream Lottery, the one that is getting underway. You can visit dreamitwinit.ca. But we learned last time and the time before and the time before that in the Dream Lottery that, Rita, if we get in early, if you, if you get those tickets early, there can be an awful lot of benefits. How about this dream lottery? Does that hold true? It certainly does. You know, and it all starts with our free ticket deadline, which is on October 15th. And then we run into loyalty, VIP, bonus, early bird. But here's the reality. We sold out in record time in this past lottery. And so if you want to get in, then now is the time to order your tickets. You're in for all the draws, which, of course, means more chances to win. And you're supporting a great cause, London Hospitals, right here in our own community. So things like the free ticket draw, the early bird draw, VIP draws, which last time had a lot of different escapes that came through in in so many different ways. Will we see kind of resorts of Ontario escapes this time around as well? You better believe it. You know, this is all about taking vacations here in our beautiful province. And, uh, you know, we're going to give them, whether you're looking to go away in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, or in the summer, uh, you know, we're going to stay local and we're going to stay here and, and enjoy our province of Ontario. Excellent. Rita Feeder joining us from Dream Lottery. Visit dreamitwinit.ca. So, Rita, you mentioned that first deadline is coming up, but it's it's still a little ways away. 14 days, 9 hours, 16 minutes, and now 50 <laughs> seconds. But we should get our tickets. So how do we go about getting our tickets? So the best way to get your tickets is to go online at dreamitwinit.ca, or you can call us at 519-488-7100. Perfect. Rita, thank you for giving us such a bright spot in the day. You always do. Oh, thank you. You have a great afternoon and stay safe. You as well. Thank you. That's Rita Feeder from Dream Lottery. So go to dreamitwinit.ca, and while it's not going to be possible this time around to go through the Dream Homes, we are going to make sure that you see inside them because Kim Woodbridge of Fresh Radio is going to be taking you through the London Dream Home, and with all proper precautions, I will be taking you through the Kilworth Dream Home, and we'll do some tours, and we'll make sure and put those online for you, and you can get a look inside. Last time, I, I didn't want to leave. I really didn't. There was a playhouse built into the side of one of the walls in one of the Dream Homes last time. You could live in it. 
It it was big enough. I could take all of my furniture and basically put it in there, and that could have been my place. I haven't offered that just in case the winner has decided to to pick that. I I don't know. I think they went for the cash, but you can always go for the cash. Million bucks, top up the bank account. But uh, I was ready. I I was ready to show up with some furniture, and I'll just I'll live in your basement. I'll do the vacuuming. I'm not good at very many things. Vacuuming, not bad. I'm very thorough. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.